When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, we are in a really interesting time with uh, a particular NHL story. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin. He has put himself in the news, obviously, with the goal-scoring chase, which we've been following for a good chunk of the year. But in the shadow of that, we have his ties to Vladimir Putin. It's a bit of a rough start to the podcast. I get it. But... It, it's a it's a top story, and in any other circumstance, we'd be talking about how he's inching himself one step closer to history. He's right now tied with Yarmir Yager for third all time in goals. But a lot of people have noticed have just continued to discuss his ties to Vladimir Putin in light of the war, the invasion that attempt on Russia's part in Ukraine. And it's one of those stories where it's very hard to separate those two. I know we kind of touched off on Ovechkin on previous episodes, but I was hoping, CJ, we could kind of get started with some kind of discussion about Ovechkin, the goal-scoring chase, and Vladimir Putin. That whole story kind of jumbled together. And, I mean, I, I, I know I get to talk about it on podcasts, but I can't imagine what you have to go through trying to make sense of that story from your position. So I was thinking we could probably get into that. I'm, I'm wondering what you think. Well, it certainly dampened it. I mean, there's no question about that. You know, I can only really measure this anecdotally, but, you know, for such a huge milestone being at hand, you know, it, it seems like the conversation in traditional media circles anyway is not nowhere near what it would be on, under what we might call typical circumstances. And, and look, that's, that's what this is. You know, it, the, the, the thing that crosses my mind is you wonder, is that a product of the moment? Because literally this is happening as... Uh, the invasion in Ukraine's ongoing, you know, pretty quickly or soon after, you know, Alex Ovechkin faced some tough questions about it. You know, will this affect things longer term is maybe a little bit harder to pinpoint in terms of how Ovechkin is viewed or discussed or how his records are looked at. But, you know, given, again, I mean, pretty crazy. It's been sort of clear he would pass Yager, of course, uh, for a little while now, just with how consistent he's been for how long. But, you start to look at the numbers and it, it does get wild. And, and yet I don't see a lot of discussion about the numbers or about his pace to beat Gretzky as much anymore and all those things. Um, and yeah, it's, it's tied to the moment. And, and obviously the fact that Ovechkin hasn't, hasn't distanced himself from, from, you know, Vladimir Putin. And I mean, I know we, we kind of touched off on the fact that in his shoes, it might be perceived as difficult to even think about distancing himself from Putin in light of what's going on. But I've seen other people in the last few days, especially guys like Slava Malmud, who, who make the point that maybe, no, it's not that difficult for him to, to distance himself. I, I know we're kind of getting into it anecdotally and, and more just giving our opinions more than facts or anything, but I don't know. I just feel like it, like that part in itself, like just seeing the profile picture with him on, on Instagram with Vladimir Putin is it's still going to be a point of contention. It's, it's still something that is going to be talked about. And the longer that this is up, it's going to make this like so much more awkward. But we're at a point now with Ovechkin that this is an awkward conversation to have. Well, you know, it's a conversation, I think, that's being had in newsrooms, too, you know, about people that put together the highlight shows or, or you know, making big editorial decisions 
for news agencies about you know how to cover the hockey side of Alex Ovechkin. Can you still do it? Can you separate the two? If if you cover the hockey side, do you have to almost add this disclaimer or this um, piece to it? I mean, I, I I don't know that there's kind of a clear right one answer here, but I do think it's a question that's being wrestled with in a lot of corners. And you know, it's it's we don't have a lot of experience in this, I guess. I mean, someone pointed out to me it's a little bit like you know Bobby Orr took out a and add a newspaper in support of Donald Trump, uh, you know, prior to the, the most recent U.S. election. And, and you know, for, for that individual, he said it changed the way, you know, Bobby Orr had been someone he looked up to, you know, older than I am, who grew up watching Orr, and that, that, that changed everything forever for him, that, you know, that's who, who Bobby is, and, and he, didn't, he didn't like that, um, the person making the judgment. I'm sure there will be people out there that have been supporters of Alex Ovechkin, that have loved him, that will now view them in a different light um, because of this. And, and, you know, especially if, if nothing changes, if he keeps that Instagram photo, if he doesn't disassociate himself with some of the things that have gone on, I know he, he kind of attempted to, I think in that first media availability where he discussed the situation, but um, you know, he certainly didn't do it strongly. And look, we already saw a game in Edmonton this week where he was booed. So, you know, there's sort of consequences to, to action or in some, you know, in this case, it might even be inaction by, by sort of just trying to, to let it slide a little bit publicly. And, you know, it's, I would think, especially as long as the war is such a big focal point around the world, it's going to be hard for, for most people sort of covering the story, discussing the story fans to embrace the story um, because it is, it's, it is awkward. Does, does his comments, well, from the media availability, uh, has anything for that Ovechkin's done the last few days kind of changed your view of him at, at all? I wouldn't say the last few days. I mean, I guess it's just, look, there's, there was lots of warning signs, I guess you might call it about being close with Vladimir Putin for many years before this, but you know, the, this is more than a warning sign, right? I mean, he's ordered the unlawful occupation of another country or, or, entry into that country with military force. And so, you know, it becomes more problematic for sure. Um, you know, especially because in light of that, maybe there is an opportunity for him to at least go halfway or three quarters of the way to, um, you know, just change the picture, start there, um, come out and say no more war, you know, which isn't necessarily an outright condemnation of, you know, a powerful leader of the country he's born in and his family still lives in. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have as much insight into this. Obviously, someone like Slava, being of Russian descent, has a view of it. But, you know, I, I do think Alex Ovechkin's wife and kids might, might be in Russia right now, his parents. Um, you know, that, it's just hard for me to put myself in his shoes, given, you know, some of the complications that might arise from that. But, yeah, I, I think that it can't just be the fun, happy-go-lucky goal-scoring machine, uh, even though on the ice that's a lot of what, Alex Ovechkin's career has been. He's been a joy to, to watch play in the league for a long time. And now we marvel at his ability to kind of hold off father time with the way he still remained productive at an age. Very few players are even in the league, let alone scoring big goals still. So, um, yeah, I would say my views changed a little bit and, and I'm feeling some of the same maybe uneasiness or, un, un, you know, just being a little uncertain about, how to discuss this issue when it comes to, to, you know, his goal chase now, you know, reeling in Yarmir Yager. And, and, and we're at a point right now at the time of this recording, he is still tied with Yarmir Yager. He did not score against the Oilers on Wednesday night. I'm curious what it'll be like for that presser when he eventually surpasses Yarmir Yager, whenever that game goes on, what is that media availability going to be like? Is he just going to talk about the goal? Is he going to take questions about his ties with Putin and what's going on, about the boos that he's been subjected to. You mentioned that he was booed on Wednesday night at uh, in Edmonton. Like I, I'm really curious. This is this is a big story, obviously. Like this, this is something I'm genuinely curious about with Alex Alexander Ovechkin going forward. We we no longer have to just focus on the goal chase. There are so many other aspects to it. If it comes time, if you are if if you found yourself in that presser for when Ovechkin scores goal number seven six seven. Is it fair game at that point to to bring up Putin again? It's fair game, I guess, because you're giving him a chance, sort of a second crack at it. If if he hasn't had a second crack in the meantime to answer those questions, 
you know, I don't think you have to take over the press conference and ask 10 straight questions if he's not, you know, giving a new answer or willing to go down that road. Like, I don't, I th- there's always a line, I feel like, when you, when we're talking about, like, how is a press conference handled between sort of asking questions to make a point and actually just asking a question. And so I think it's fair to ask a question uh, phrased properly. It doesn't have to be sort of attacking him to see perhaps if he's had second thoughts or just new ideas about how he wants to say it. If, if he stays on the same kind of course he did previously, I don't see any reason to ha- like belittle the point because essentially if, if you're inclined to criticize him or make a judgment based on what he's already said so far, if you give him the chance to say it, something new and he doesn't say something new, well, you can still criticize him and make judgment fairly. I think, um, you know, I, I don't know, as I say, I don't know that it has to be taken over with, you know, an assault by the reporter and, and, you know, it can be tough in those moments. Like I think it's easy sometimes to sit back and, and watch a press conference on Twitter, or maybe even for fans or even professionals, just people that haven't been in the sort of in the interview world. It's, it, you know, those can be emotional rooms. There's sort of high energy in there. You know, there's lots of cameras, the way a question comes out, I, I'm sure nothing comes to mind to tell you a great anecdote, but I know I've botched lots of questions just sort of in terms of how it comes out. I mean, sometimes you have an idea and then maybe it, it comes out like you're putting someone on the spot, but you really didn't intend that. Um, so a lot can, I guess, go wrong in moments like that. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't see any reason to, to make a huge deal of it, whether he breaks the record or whenever he's next available to the media. But I think keeping asking in a fair way, it, it, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, there's lots of sensitive subjects, I guess, that continually get asked about. I mean, generally those pertain to like injuries about players. Sometimes they can be sensitive around teams, various things. Um, and, and the coach will still get asked every day or, or, you know, trade rumors, whatever, things like that, that go on. I mean, I, I get that this is maybe on a, a different level because it, it's so directly political. Um, but, you know, I, I see no, I see no issue with asking about it. It's just got to be done in a reasonable manner. What's it been like discussing Ovechkin in recent days with your colleagues, uh, mostly at TSN, uh, but any other ones you may have to do with at North Star Bets or the Toronto Star, but what's it been like? discussing Alexander Ovechkin in light of everything going on? Well, we've had the very discussion you and I are kind of going down now in terms of what's appropriate. You know, I I had an appearance on That's Hockey before their game in Calgary. I guess that was on Tuesday night. And, and, you know, we just, we went through weighing, you know, chat topics on, on, you know, pertaining to that game. How do we handle Ovechkin? I believe that was Ovechkin and Backstrom's thousandth game together, which, you know, they were only the seventh set of teammates to do. Mm-hmm. How much do we highlight that? And and so, you know, it's it's definitely something that's coming up in my circles. And I, I really imagine it's everywhere. I mean, typically, if you had him on the verge of becoming the third leading goal scorer in NHL history, I think there'd be a lot of pumping it up and promoing it. And tonight could be the night type of coverage. And I, I just, again, I might have missed something, but I haven't seen a lot of that. Not as much as I would expect. You know, I, I look back to when Sidney Crosby scored his 500th goal. Uh, earlier this season, I feel like it was, you know, two weeks of lead up to that as he was getting to 496, 97, 98, so on. Um, you know, this has just been met a little bit more tepidly and, and it's a reflection of the time. I mean, it's, it's still a weird time to be working in sports sometimes when there's so many big events going on. I mean, we're coming up on the two year anniversary of the start of the pandemic. Um, and, and, you know, that the, the pandemic in general has just changed the way the sports discussed or, or maybe the importance it takes or the way it's framed. And now we're, we're seeing a big global, global conflict with ties to players in the league. I mean, it's just natural. That's going to cast a shadow over things. That is very true. Um, one other thing I, I kind of mentioned the IG profile picture and, and how difficult that is to kind of maneuver through. I'm, I'm just curious for your personal opinion. Like, do you think he should take down that picture? I still think the longer he keeps this up, the, the more awkward it is. But like, what, what do you, do you think he, Oveshkin is in a position to, to do that? Or is it something he even wants to do? Like, that's a really, it's a point of contention among a lot of people. Well, I can't know what he wants to do. Right. I mean, we're only guessing why that is there and why that's remained there. And, and I do think there's a few plausible stories and that's why I don't really want to guess the motivation for it. I don't think history is going to treat it well. You know, I, I do think that if it is kept up and, this war goes on. And, and once we start to fully understand just how, how big the losses are, how 
how difficult it's been for the people of Ukraine. Um, you know, I don't think that that's going to that's going to be something that Alex Ovechkin is going to want to have had be be the case. But you know, it's his Instagram uh, profile, and I think he's going to have to live with those consequences too, right? So, yeah, I think it, ideally that that wouldn't be there. Like that, that's I think that's not a controversial view. Um, but at the same time, you know, history will judge it. And, and as I say, I don't think it's going to judge it very kindly. I wonder also uh, if you've had the opportunity to kind of talk about with players or other execs uh, as well. I, I know after he scored seven six six, Tariq El Bashir from the Athletic had written a, an article where he got a lot of post game reactions from from other players about him scoring. And I, I don't know if we've had the opportunity to kind of ask those players about what they think is going on. Uh, and I wonder if that's even fair game to even discuss that with other teammates as well. Yeah, I think there's a fine line there. And that's it. Look, I, you know, I, I've seen the media in Calgary this week, actually, before the, the Capitals game, are asking you know, some of the Flames players about how they've, they've treated Nikita Zadorov. And of course, he's in sort of the opposite standpoint in that he's one of the Russian players, one of the few NHL Russian players has publicly spoken out about the war, put, put up an Instagram post. And so his teammates, you know, I saw Michael Backlund give a, a pretty eloquent answer on, on how they've managed that as teammates, you know, the fact that it's been discussed in their dressing room. I think that there's, yeah, you know, I go back to what I said in a previous episode. I think, like, I think all questions are fair if they come from a good, honest place. Like if, if you're not trying to trap someone, if you're not trying to just ask a question to make a statement, you know what I mean? If you actually are asking a question, you know, and then you have to listen to the answer. And if, the person answers it, even if you don't like their answer. I mean, maybe you, you have one follow-up, but like you, you don't have to ask it 10 times. Um, you just give people a chance to tell their side of the story. And so, yeah, it, it's, I think the capitals are unique that, you know, they have a number of Russian players uh, with Kuznetsov, Dmitry Orlov, uh, Ilya Samsonov, the goaltender. And so, you know, this is a, this is probably taking a toll on them on a personal level. I mean, I, again, I can't completely identify that as someone living Canadian living still in Canada, you know, we're still as much as we can follow the, the news of this war from afar. It's it, the impacts aren't quite as immediate as they are on people, I'm sure, even from Russia. Um, and so I, I think it is a question to to be asked of the Capitals coaching staff, management and, and even some of the players, as long as it's done in a, in a fair and sort of respectable manner. OK, the last thing I want to discuss with Ovechkin is the booing. We, we, we talked about the fact he got booed on Wednesday night against Edmonton. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to watch the Calgary game, so I don't know if that actually happened there as well. But I can't help but think that it's going to happen to him more. I can't help but think that this is something he's going to have to put up with in other parts of, of other NHL arenas. What do you think about fans expression, expressing their, this, their displeasure this way with Ovechkin uh, in light of everything that's going on? if you pay the price of the ticket, you're allowed to do what you want. You know, I mean, I'm not telling anyone they have to boo. Um, you know, I don't buy tickets to games just because of the nature of the job I'm in. So, you know, I, I can't really, I think people are free to do what they want. You know, there's a big Ukrainian community in, in Edmonton uh, and other parts of Canada too. Uh, and I'm sure, I, I don't know in the U S but there's, there's probably some cities where there's, there's a more sizable Ukrainian population than others. And, and, so this, again, those people are feeling what they're feeling about the conflict um, and, and they're, they're expressing that. And so we've seen lots of players get booed for, for reasons that are much less significant politically. Sometimes it's just, you know, guys become a target. I've seen Zdeno Chara, for example, who's probably one of the kindest gentle giants that's ever laced up in the NHL be booed just because he's on the, the opposing team. He's a big figure, plays big minutes. I mean, um, you know, Alex Ovechkin has been booed before, I'm sure, in some of those Pittsburgh-Washington games. And so, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it, and, and I, I don't know how prevalent it's going to be. I mean, maybe this is something that, that continues as a trend. You know, fans pick up on this. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to know. But, you know, you're, you're allowed to express how you feel, uh, again, as long as it's within sort of the safe parameters of the sport and booing for good or ill is part of what athletes have to contend with. So that is a bit of a, like I mentioned before, a bit of a tougher start to the podcast, but this is the big story. This is the big thing where I don't understand we're in trade season, but with Alexander Ovechkin, it's, I think it's a discussion worth having. And I think we tried our absolute best in, in trying to maneuver through it. 
uh, with everything that's going on. It's going to get a little lighter from here on out for the podcast, a bit of a transition from Alexander Ovechkin, the gold chase and Vladimir Putin to uh, some trade talk, but not necessarily in the way that you might think. I, I know in, in previous episodes, Siege, we've discussed players, we've discussed guys who could be available. We've touched off on the fact that it could be a buyer's market and 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 depending on what the prices may look like for players that could affect uh, guys being moved. But one aspect of this that we haven't really touched on yet is is teams available cap space and teams who may want to get to the floor and maybe looked at as a sec, as a third trading partner uh, to accommodate certain salaries. Uh, One guy I'm thinking of in particular is Ron Francis with the Seattle Kraken, who spoke to our boy, Pierre Lebrun and said that, uh, Hey, if the offer's right, he'd be willing to use some of his cap space uh, to help facilitate some contracts, some deals and, 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 and and taking on some other contracts. Uh, I'm, I'm curious from your vantage point, do you get the sense that, teams like Seattle, there are other teams, maybe the Arizona Coyotes, obviously. How much of that are we going to be seeing uh, at the trade deadline on uh, March 21st? Well, when we're talking about any of the big ticket players that might move, if it's Claude Giroux or, you know, anyone with a, a price tag, seven, eight million moving to a contender, I mean, it's going to be an essential part of it because, you know, the rules only allow a team that's making a trade to retain half of a player's salary and cap hit. And in some cases, you're going to need double retention, meaning you're going to filter them through a Seattle so that if it's Philadelphia in this case, just to, to highlight the example, they keep back, you know, four million of Claude Drew's cap hit, trade them to Seattle. Seattle keeps back the next half, which is two million. And then the acquiring team, you know, only has Claude Drew at a two million dollar cap hit. I mean, that, that's that's going to be essential. And, and you know, I, I look at in addition to Seattle, you know, which Ron Francis has made clear that they're willing to do this. You know, I think Buffalo is a team that we could see either taking on contracts or, or, or being sort of a third party brokers, we'll call them to retain uh, double retention on, on a trade. You know, Arizona's done a fair amount of this. I mean, in the off season, they took on contracts that teams wanted rid of, whether it's Andrew Ladd or Antoine Roussel, um, Louis Erickson. I mean, they, they, they kind of did that. I mean, even in the deal with the Maple Leafs, it's turned out actually in, in the short term here, Nick Ritchie has been quite productive for the Arizona Coyotes, but you know, that deal was partly motivated by the Leafs wanting to find Nick Ritchie an NHL home after, you know, it didn't work out for him in Toronto, but they also needed some to free of his cap space. And, and so, you know, th- this will manifest itself, as I say, in different forms. I think, you know, in Arizona's case, their team, they don't have that many players signed for next season. I know they, they signed a couple guys over the weekend, Liam O'Brien and Tra- Travis Boyd to extensions. So they do have a few more NHL players under contract next year, but I, I could see them more, taking on players that they would find useful to play for them beyond the season with the teams trading them, uh, maybe want rid of their cap hit. You know, they could also be a destination for, for Shea Weber's cap. Um, you know, what's remaining on his contract, which has been discussed out of Montreal, because, you know, as we know, Shea's very, 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 very unlikely to play in the NHL again with some of the injuries he's gone through. The Canadians are, are looking at a future where they're, they're in long-term injured reserve with all the years and, and that amount of cap space tied to Shea. And so, you know, his contract potentially could be used to help teams like Arizona reach the floor. So that's something to watch. But yeah, I mean, th- this is this is going to be an essential part of this deadline um, because, well, I've said that there are tons of sellers. A lot of the players out there that are on the market, you know, do have sizable cap hits. They don't always have a lot of dollars owed, but it's it's more about fitting it under that $81.5 million cap ceiling. And, and you know, some of these some of these teams are, are going to be needed to, to at least spur on some activity. Uh, you mentioned Shea Weber. Did you get a chance to read uh, an article that Michael Russo of The Athletic put up earlier this week where he put up a suggestion that said that maybe the Wild should look into getting Shea Weber's contract as a way to kind of alleviate some of the buyout penalties they'll be facing? I think about like 13 million, I think, over the next year. And if they get Weber's contract, they could put that on LTIR. They could find that that could at least kind of help them you know, sign a guy like a Kevin Fiala or make a splash in the offseason. Hopefully I'm explaining that correctly, but I'm just curious what you think of that particular idea. Well, there's a misconception here, and, and that wouldn't actually benefit Minnesota. And, and it's, look, at long-term injured reserve, I have a, a really good, strong working understanding as a journalist of the collective bargaining agreement, but it is by far the most sort of complicated, nuanced aspect of the CBA that that I encounter trying to understand what teams are doing in the league. And, and so 
essentially to, to use cap space, you have to first have room to have the player on your roster to begin with. And then if that player is deemed injured, then you can go beyond the cap. And so, you know, there isn't any benefit to acquiring a contract like Weber's to, to use it to go into LTIR for other players because you'd first have to have room under the ceiling um, to have them on your roster. And so really the only benefit, if we call it that, of that contract would be for teams looking to hit the cap floor or, or teams that just know they're never going to spend to the cap ceiling who might be getting an asset and, and be willing to, to basically use that extra space to, to turn it into an asset. And so, um, you know, the best example of that I can think of is, is the Hurricanes and Patrick Marlowe. You know, when they made the trade with Toronto, it was from Toronto's end of things, it was just getting rid of Patrick Marlowe's cap hit because of players they had to sign that offseason. The, the Hurricanes weren't going to spend right to the cap ceiling. And so they got a first round pick out of it. They actually drafted Seth Jarvis, who's had a nice rookie season for them this year uh, with that pick. And, you know, they were happy to give up that, that cap space they probably weren't going to use otherwise. And so, you know, really the only benefit for Weber's contractor for teams that know they're not going to be spending to the, the ceiling. And so a team like Minnesota doesn't uh, actually get any benefit from, from contemplating that sort of move. Okay. So in, in any case, there's still a possibility Weber could be moved to a team that could want his salary. I'm thinking about this because there's also talk that PK Subban might also be moved or at the very least, the devils are not interested in, in extending him. And that's a guy with also a, hefty price tag. So it, it's kind of giving vibes of what June 2016, when they were both traded for each other. Uh, I wonder if there's a team out there who might be, I know we kind of mentioned him in the trading pile earlier this week, but I'm also wondering for if there's a team that's willing to take like a percentage of his salary as well to make it work. Yeah. That one seems less likely to me, you know, that, that someone would take PK at a, even if it's double retained, you know, as $9 million cap hit, that's, Still a fairly large cap chunk. You know, one thing I saw Elliot Friedman talk about in 32 Thoughts, which is an interesting thought, is that the idea that maybe the Devils might almost, quote unquote, do right by P.K. Subban, mutually terminate his contract and allow him to sign somewhere as a free agent. Um, you know, one reason they might do that, the Devils, that is, is if they deem that there isn't a trade market for him just because of that cap hit. You know, the actual amount of money owed to P.K. Subban this year is very low. I believe it's $2 million dollars in actual dollars. And so he might be willing to accept that maneuver because, you know, he could have his contract terminated. Obviously that means he doesn't get paid the rest of what he's owed of that 2 million this season, but he can then go sign with someone else, earn back some of that money and, and sort of pick a destination. You know, I, I, I don't know how likely that is to happen, but you know, I saw we should hat tip Elliot Friedman because that it's an interesting idea. You know, it actually happened a little bit with Zach Bogosian in the 2019, 20 season, him and Buffalo were, at, at an end where there, there was no there was no way for him to be traded at his, his cap hit in that point in time. He'd been in the minors and the like, and, and they agreed to terminate his deal. Just before the deadline, you know, Bogosian met with a couple teams, ended up signing with Tampa and won a Stanley Cup that year in the NHL bubble. Uh, and, and so sort of the team's doing right by him by giving him a chance to go play for a better, a more manageable cap hit somewhere else rather than riding it out. And, you know, I, I could at least see that being possible for Subban um, because the benefit there, of course, is the team isn't giving up an asset to acquire him. And theoretically, he could sign for the, the, the league minimum um, to have a chance to, to spend the last six weeks of the regular season somewhere else and whatever bit of a playoff run he might get out of it. Because you know, I think if we're just being realistic at this stage in his career and with so many cap challenges, you know, I, I don't see a team likely to trade for him, even with double salary retention at this point in time. Can I just say that I really appreciate your brain? Cause like that was really well done. Just going, just going through all that math. I was never good at math. I know you've mentioned on the show that you are good at math. So I really appreciate the fact that you are able to break that stuff down because I ah. cannot do that at all. Well, I'm just trying to give people a sense of what might happen. You know, it, it makes sense. Cause basically what, what does everyone get out of it? You have to look at situations. What can everyone get out of it? Right. You know, why would the devils do that? Well, if, if PK Subban isn't an asset to them, meaning if Tom Fitzgerald and his staff make calls around the league and no one's going to trade for him, he's still owed in real time, even at a salary that low, you know, I, I haven't done, I haven't run the math on this, but it, it, he still owed call it a couple hundred thousand dollars in actual real dollars for this season. So if the devils said, Hey, PK, you've been a great part of the community, which, which I know they, they love him, but they're just, you know, they're, they're kind of going in another direction at this point in time. You know, you basically, you terminate the deal, 
you, you save the organization a few hundred thousand dollars. You give PK an opportunity to, to now go play for a contender this year. He's getting later in his career. I'm sure he would appreciate that. And again, he can make back some of that money with the contract he signs on a new team. And so I think it is, it's a potential win, win, win. I know for Bogosian and the Sabres, that's exactly how it played out. I mean, it probably couldn't have played out any better for Zach Bogosian, of course, because he wouldn't want a Stanley cup on top of it. Um, but you know, it, the same circumstances were, were kind of at play there and, you know, everyone found a solution. So, you know, the, as much as a cap is a challenge right now, and, and I, we bring it up when we analyze basically every trade situation, what every contender's, you know, trying to do at this point in time, there are sort of creative solutions around it. And, you know, I, I do think that that's one that, that we could see play out here, depending on where the trade market ends up for Subban and what happens in the next 10 days or so. By the way, I, I didn't mention it off the top that uh, we do, we, that we got scooped by the Steve Dangle podcast on uh, Wednesday's show, but we do have an announcement with regards to trade talk. Uh, we we kind of talked about it openly about the possibility of a of an emergency or an extra show ahead of the trade deadline, and uh, we are going to do one uh, March twentieth. That is a Sunday. That is the day before the NHL trade deadline. Uh, we are going to do an extra edition of the Chris Johnston show, a rare Sunday edition where we'll we'll look ahead to the NHL trade deadline. Uh, the SDP kind of scooped us with that news. They mentioned it on their Wednesday show. So I figured we'd just kind of clear up any rumors and just let everyone know, yes, we are going to do uh, an extra show ahead of the deadline. So that means we're going to do a Sunday show. And because of the Monday being the trade deadline and CJ being busy, uh, our Monday show will move to Tuesday. So so for the week of the 20th, uh, the show on the 20th on the Sunday and on Tuesday, uh, we are going to do the show that we would have done on the Monday. So as a post-mortem of the NHL trade deadline, just want to put that out there and make sure everyone is uh, up to date on the news. I never thought we'd be in a situation where Steve, Adam, and Jesse would scoop a podcast with an actual insider, but here we are. It's okay. Here we are. It's okay. Uh, one last thing before we get to stick taps uh, this Sunday, uh, is the Heritage Classic in Hamilton uh, with uh, the Toronto the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Sabres. CJ, are you going to that game? I will be there Sunday. Are you excited? I'm excited. You know, I'm a sucker for outdoor games. Um, I've been to a ton of them over the years, and there's just there's a great vibe around them. And I haven't actually looked at the weather forecast because we're probably getting close enough where I could have a reasonable view to, of what to expect but as long as the day isn't too too bad uh you know i think you know just driving up you know it's a right now it's scheduled for four eastern puck drop uh local time you know so there'll be a sort of like a tailgate atmosphere i would expect fans of both teams you know hamilton's you know fairly much in the middle of buffalo and toronto and just kind of a fun party like a little bit different than your average regular season toronto buffalo game or insert team a and team b and that's that's what i've always loved about the outdoor events so yeah I'm, I'm really much looking forward to it and you know i do get that these aren't always tv events although i must say i caught some of the stadium series game recently in nashville between the preds and the lightning and i actually i thought it looked pretty cool it was it was a good game there was a lot to it sort of fights and goals and, and everything and, and i found myself entertained by that game um, but you know, some of the novelties clearly worn off over the, the number of years the league's done this, but there's a reason why they continue to do three or four a year. I mean, for one, they make money, but I think they also deliver a great fan experience for those that, that get to go to the stadium or, or be part of the event live. And, and so that's going to be me, not, not in a fan's position, but you know, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Is there going to be any like, you know, fun thing for media at that, that game, like a media game or something like that. You get to be on the ice or anything fun like that. Or is that, is that probably, that's probably a little too much. Yeah. No media game that I know of. And, and actually in, in a lot of the ones I've been to over the years, they do a media skate. I'm, I'm actually not aware if they're doing one this year in Hamilton, but quite often they've let the media go out there. Obviously, you know, those that, that do TV, it gives them an opportunity to get their cameras on the ice and do unique sort of stand-ups and, and things that get attention. I think there's actually a practical reason, though, too, is that the, the ice, because it's a temporary ice service, you know, in the days leading up to the game, it, it needs work. It needs people to be skating on it and then for them to resurface it. And so it always filled sort of two purposes. You know, I'm not aware if that's happening in Hamilton. If, if it was, 
I'd of course take the opportunity to, to dust off my old tax and get out there and bomb around. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I did that just off the top of my head. I skated at Wrigley field, Fenway park. I skated at, at Pittsburgh, uh, at Heinz field before that, that winter classic. I skated at BMO field in Toronto before they did, I think it was called the Centennial classic uh, on new year's day, a few years ago, 2017, maybe. Um, yeah. I've had a chance to kind of be in a lot of those rinks and it's, you know, it's, let's face it. That's kind of cool. It's just neat to be in the building. I mean, there's something about skating, like, you know, you start to, you feel young when you put skates on in the outdoor air and get to look around again. Um, it's just the, the fresh air hits your face and you know, there's something wondrous and simple about it. And so I think that's part of the charm of the games, honestly, it's just that, that, that that's the players get that experience too. And, and they get to see a, a bigger crowd than they'd ever play in front of and different atmosphere and, yeah, so I don't actually go put on equipment and play in a media game, but, you know, there may be a media skate. Hearing you describe skating uh, reminds me of one of my greatest shames, which is that I still don't know how to skate on ice. Really? Yeah, I tried once when I was like 10 and I kept falling and I I just never made it work. I've gone rollerblading and it went fine, but I've never since that day. I haven't gone skating since, which is weird my mom knew how to ice skate but like i had never i never picked up ice skating which is again one of my greatest shapes and that's okay i guess at some point i mean steve learned how to skate jesse's like putting up videos of him learning how to skate i'm sure i could figure out a way to do the same Dude, uh, you can do it honestly i mean yeah some i think sometimes like the thing that gets in our way as you get older is like you're almost too proud because so many people do an activity like skating since they're kids and it's almost for them. It literally is like riding a bike. It's, it's, it's so natural and easy and it's really not a natural thing to learn as you're older, but don't let your pride get in the way. Like, honestly, I, I like how Steve has been open about kind of his ankle biting the way he gets out there and skates. And, and I think there's, there's a lesson in that. I mean, don't, cause it's a lot of fun. You know, I would say similarly, like some people that don't golf until they're older and that, that can be intimidating, but like, it's it's a game that can give you a lot of joy and it's something you can do well into your later years and, and still still get some pleasure from it. You know, it's a good workout too. So, you know, if, if you have like even like the smallest kernel in the back of your brain saying you should do it, I, you know, I think you should even take a couple lessons and, and get out there and give it a shot. All right. I'll keep that kernel in the back of my head. Uh, do you have a favorite outdoor game memory? I know you've mentioned that you've been to a bunch of them. My favorite was the one in Ann Arbor. Um, the Leafs Red Wings winter classic. I want to say that was 2014. Um, but there's 105,000 people at the big house and, you know, everyone or most people uh, that, that covered that game had to stay in Detroit, uh, which is say, I don't know, 45 minute drive. And so you you load onto the media bus. It's, it's new year's morning, January 1st morning. You, you go out there 45 minutes and like it took two hours because there's so many cars going on the highway to, to the game, it, the snow was just pounding down. And as soon as you get off the highway and you're driving through Ann Arbor, this like charming little college town, like when I say there's tailgaters, it was just people everywhere. You know, it's some great hopeful feeling about January 1st too, right? And just this, this feeling and you get in the building and the way they sold the tickets was one half went to sort of people in Ontario or, or what might be deemed the Leafs region. Somehow the, the Red Wings controlled the other half. And it was almost a perfect split of blue on one half of the stadium and red on the other. And just a magical snowball type of atmosphere with, with the, the weather that came that day. And I think just the sheer number of people probably is what made it so memorable. But, you know, the game itself was pretty good. It had to be stopped a little bit to clear the ice because of the snow that, that, that gathered there. But it ended up being a shootout game, uh, a close game. And it just was it was just an unreal experience. Like I've never been to a college football game. It actually put the kernel in my mind. If we talk about kernels that like, that would be something maybe, even though I don't, I don't follow college football at all. I don't have a team. I can't tell you anything about it, but I could see the appeal of kind of just being around that many people, the excitement that that brings. And, you know, especially now having gone through games without fans like that, that's almost like the furthest experience on the other end of the spectrum where it was just overwhelming the number of people and, and, you know, the excitement in the building and in a fun game. And so that that's probably my most memorable, you know, the Wrigley field game way back when it was like when the Red Wings were a powerhouse and the Blackhawks were an up and coming team. And the game was like six, four at Wrigley field. That was pretty cool. And that was when 
there were there was definitely a lot more novelty to it like just the idea of an ice rink being there at Wrigley Field but I, I sort of remember taking the, the taxi up to Wrigleyville and getting out and just like that crazy feeling it's January 1st again I mean there's something magical about it all um you know that that was really cool and I was young in my career you know at that point in time getting to travel to an event like that was was you know just a big deal in itself um so that that that's there Pittsburgh Washington 2011 like that was sort of the height of Crosby versus Ovechkin that was the culmination game of that first road to the winter classic behind the scenes show unfortunately that game will be remembered for Sidney Crosby suffering his concussion but you know the excitement around that game was probably next to none in terms of just the hype and, and Crosby had like a 20 point lead in the scoring race and it was only you know midway through the season it was January 1st I remember Mario Lemieux speaking at that time and saying like he thought Crosby was like as good as Mario was at his peak at that point. It was just like a really cool event, um, you know, got spoiled by what happened. But, you know, that that's memorable kind of for both good and bad reasons. We also took a at that point in time it was pre Uber and we spent New Year's Eve on what's called the South Side in Pittsburgh. And, and anyone who traveled to Pittsburgh at that point in time will understand how difficult it was to get, get a taxi cab. And a group of us had to walk back to the hotel like across a bridge a great amount of distance. One of the reporters was there with his wife who was pregnant, like quite pregnant. She had to make the walk with us. So it wasn't like, it was not like a, this wasn't a crazy drunken experience. It was more like we went out the night before and there's just no way to get back. And so we were like walking through the night with a pregnant lady. So I, I guess maybe I'm remembering it just because, you know, it was kind of a unique experience in that sense. But, you know, that's what I say. Like a lot of these games imprint something on me. And, and you know, obviously I've had the, the pleasure to go to a, a million freaking games in the NHL, but sometimes, you know, it, it does become routine, but I feel like the outdoor games stand out for, for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, again, that's why I'm excited about this weekend Sabres Leafs game. Man, I got to get to one of those outdoor games before my career is up and you got to get yourself to a college football game. Before your career is up, like your career is. It's just started. You're, you're going down the runway. Like you're picking up speed right now, but you haven't even like hit full lift off yet. I mean, you're going to be at a hundred of these outdoor games by the time your career is up. Don't worry about uh, that. That'd be nice. It'd just be nice to go to one. Just you start the goals at a decent marker and then you uh, extend from there. But yeah, you got to go to a college football game. I went to a bunch when I was at Syracuse and I actually got to be at one game uh, where uh, they were up against Louisville when Lamar Jackson was still uh, quarterbacking for them. Dude literally hurdled a DB before scoring. And I was on the sideline for that. That is still one of the most surreal experiences of my life. You got to go to a game, whether it's, you know, at the big house, whether it's Ohio, whether it's, you know, somewhere in like upstate New York, like just getting the experience of like the tailgating, the fun outside, the crowd inside, just watching the game, seeing fans storm the field after and singing the alma mater. Like that's, that's fun. That what I, I knew I was in America and I got to really, I mean, not to shade Canadian university football, which is still a very good product, but we know it's very different from what goes down in the NCAA in the United States. And it's, it is quite the majestic product. So you got to check out a U.S. college game uh, at some point. Like go to Michigan, maybe, go, go to road trip. You say, maybe if the listeners, like if anyone's out there that's into college football, tell me where I should be going to a game. Like if I go to only one college football game in my life, where is it? What is it? Give me, give me a little bit of a sporting bucket list item. I'll just throw it out there. The Rose Bowl. That's like the. That's like supposed to be like the grandpappy of all the big college football games, even if it's not. You're going to say something like Tennessee or Alabama or one of the sort of like the heart of college football country type of games. Well, like, yes, obviously, like if you're going to go watch like a regular season game, but like the Rose Bowl in itself, that's like one of the big like college football bowls in bowl season. And if you're not going to get to go to the national championship game, at least go out to California and check out the the majestic stadium. I think in Pasadena, uh, the Rose Festival, and then you get like two really good teams going at it. If you're not going to watch the championship game, that is like seen as like the majestic granddaddy of all the possible college football games you can go to. So here's what I'm thinking. Like I'm thinking like where's the best experience? Like where I'm on a campus or near a campus. You know what I mean? Like which which is the best one? Because you know, it's, it's like saying to some, if someone asked me, it's like, yeah, go to the Stanley Cup final if you can go to the Stanley Cup final. Okay, that's fair. But, then, you know, if we're talking like a place to go see an NHL game, like I'm, I'm giving you go to Montreal on a Saturday night, go, you know, go to Madison Square Garden, go to Nashville, go to Vegas. You know, um, I'm looking for that version if, if I'm not getting to the granddaddy of them all. Then 
just obviously let fans like, you know, write in the comments, where's the best place to go. I mean, Michigan, obviously like just the atmosphere there, the big house is just like a big, like, obviously that would probably be high up on the list. I know we've mentioned them a lot, Alabama, obviously, uh, I mean, yeah, almost any sec school really. So like Florida, Alabama's in there as well. Like, I, I, Auburn, I, I, I like, I always, I have, I have a soft spot for Auburn as well. I think if you go down South, you're really going to get a different experience, but anyway. Hey, uh, since we're so far off topic, can I share a secret with you? Yes, please. So, you know, we're starting to prepare for the TSN trade center, Ooh. uh, you know, broadcast coming up in 10 days time. And we had to record these montages this week when I was in the studio and it was James Dutty's idea. And he's having everyone that's on the show have to record like, you know, like when you're watching a football game yeah. and you got to in- introduce yourself the way the players do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like I was on the floor laughing at some of the ones the guys were doing uh, because they, they gave us a lot of freedom, like to either just do it sort of straight or to do it more as a joke. And so they put me up to this, but, but the way I, I did mine is I had to get very serious. <laughs> Like as serious as I could be. And it was really hard. Are you serious? Keep, keep in mind, you're in a room. First of all, the whole thing is patently absurd, right? Like I'm, yeah. I'm not for having fun, but like it's absurd. And you're in a room like with behind the scenes people and some of the other, you know, commentators were on set. Like there's like 10 or 15 people there watching you. And and before we, they even get to it, they're like debating what I should say. And then I had to go, Chris Johnson, trade breaker, the <laughs> Ryerson University. <laughs> They didn't make you say X University? No. The uh, Ryerson University, you know, play the Ohio State yeah. University when you see football players do it. Oh, uh, so, you should have you should have plugged your elementary school or something. No, but like Jeff O'Neill plugged his high school. No, I, oh, you know, Jeff fine. Jeff played in the Ontario Hockey League and then was in the NHL pretty young. So I'm guessing he didn't go to post-secondary education because he was already playing in the NHL. Yeah, but, that. You know, he was pretty funny about it. Dave Poole and actually has a funny one. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it. I, I don't know when it'll be rolled out on trade deadline, but I can't imagine it won't be funny because, and I didn't see everyone. It was just a few of us that were recording them. You know, I haven't seen the breadth of what everyone did, but you know, I, I heard that Bob McKenzie did sort of a, a funny, predictably funny one. No anyway, relation. I, I love the one fun part of a trade deadline, honestly, is like, of course it's about the trades, but it's become a thing where I think the networks can have some fun just talking about hockey, just poke fun at themselves, poke fun, you know, poke fun at the event. Like it's become this, it's kind of ridiculous sometimes what it's turned into. And I love the idea from Duffy to do those football intros. Like I, I can't wait to see the finished product. I can't wait to see yours. I'm very, I mean, already I was going to have the TSN uh, stream going up uh, during the trade deadline day, but now I'm especially excited. We're um, going to need memes to grab that one way or another. Oh, yeah. He, you already know SDPN memes, uh, which, by the way, good job on the memes earlier this week. But you already know SDPN memes is going to be uh, hot on the case on getting them memes. Uh, we have stick caps to do. Uh, I pulled out this green paddle over here, uh, the goalie paddle for uh, stick taps. Um, I am going to uh, there's a couple of people who I think are deserving of stick taps this week. Uh, I mean, there's the ownership group for uh, the Toronto Six, who I think are deserving, a group including uh, Anthony Stewart, Angela James, uh, Bernice Carnegie, the daughter of uh, Herb Carnegie as well. Uh, like a, a good list of, of great people behind a team. And also Phil Kessel uh, of the Arizona Coyotes, who managed to keep his Ironman streak going, uh, even though his partner was giving birth. He got to play one shift. Uh, and then got to do some fist bumps with everyone before leaving the ice uh, while still keeping his uh, his Iron Man streak intact. So I'm going to give the stick tap to Phil Kessel, and I'm also going to give it to uh, Anthony Stewart, Angela James, uh, and Bernice Carnegie, and Ted Dolan. I didn't mention Ted Dolan's name initially, but I should do that. Uh, Ted Dolan, Ted Ted Nolan, yeah, Ted Dolan, excuse me, also part of that uh, ownership group for the Toronto Six. Nice. Yeah, I have two minds about the Kessel thing. Like, I, I mean, obviously great for him to, to start his, his family and all that. But like I, I saw some debate, like if you just play one shift, is that in the spirit of keeping the games played streak alive? You know, the only comparable I can think of is I believe Cal Ripken, who's got baseball's Ironman streak, did that a few times, like where he played 
whatever the requisite number of innings was and then took a rest. Anyway, just some food for thought. Um, but certainly I'm not, I'm not knocking him. I'm just like, I've kind of been like, Hmm, is that, does that really meet the criteria or the spirit of it? But hmm. um, yeah, I don't know why I brought that up. It just crossed my mind. You're giving them stick taps and I'm here like, well, Julian, <laughs> I don't know about that stick tap. Um, really quickly. I don't know why I was reading off a, of an article just to make sure I got all the names right. And they spelled Ted Nolan's name wrong. They spelled it as Dolan. So I might've said Dolan, but Ted Nolan, Angela James, Bernice Carnegie, and Anthony Stewart among the new ownership group for the uh, Toronto six franchise of the PHF. I just want, I just want that cleared up. Got you. I'm going to maybe this will seem a bit of a cop-out or non-specific, but I want to just stick to our audience. I had a few really nice messages this week. One from someone in the media, like a, basically a colleague of ours just saying, I'm not sure enjoying the show. I've had a few DMS uh, from people, a person from Finland reaching out, just saying, um, you know, that that person has COVID right now and was just saying how, how so much comfort we're helping bring when they're laid up at the moment. And I don't know, it means a lot. It's been, uh, it's still been a tough season uh, in some ways. And it's just nice to hear every once in a while that, that people are enjoying this. I appreciate everyone who donates an hour to the best 30 minute podcast in hockey twice a week. Uh, and even those of you <laughs> that just listen to the odd episode and enjoy it. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm not requiring you listen to everyone, but you know, I, I just appreciate everyone who's kind of made this go, Julian. I feel like we're we're getting the our feet under us here, and and obviously the, the trade season and into the playoffs. I think is going to be the most exciting time for our pod now that we're we're getting going here. So anyway, I just want to stick tap everyone who's even just listening this deep into this show because um, without you, it wouldn't be worth doing. And and this has really been tons of fun for me and Julian. I know you're loving it as well. Oh man, I'm enjoying every minute of it. And I know you have as well. It's always a pleasure to do these shows with you and, and interact with you uh, on a regular basis, just about what we need to do for our shows. Uh, I, I know the start of today's episode was a little tough with the Ovechkin talk, but uh, I said it was going to get lighter by the end. And look at that. We end up with a wholesome moment uh, with us uh, giving a stick tap to our fans. CJ, a pleasure doing these episodes with you as always. This has been the Thursday edition of the Chris Johnston show. Get your questions in now, whether on Twitter, whether on Discord for our Monday episode coming up for the Ask CJ segment. And of course, CJ can get to some of them as well for his column inside the NHL, which you can, which you can read in the Toronto Star. And if you missed it somehow in the middle of the episode on March 20th, that is a Sunday, the day before the NHL trade deadline, we will be doing a podcast ahead of the deadline and the Monday show will instead be moved to Tuesday and will serve as a postmortem. So we'll get in all the talk about the trades that happened, maybe trades that didn't happen. Maybe we'll even get to talk about some of the funny stuff that happened on trade center. And also uh, Jesse asked about this on the SDP and I'd love to know if we'd be able to get into it. The differences between working the trade center coverage on TSN and for Sportsnet, because you'll be in the uh, unique position of having of having done both. So just a couple different ideas we'll throw out there uh, for some of the shows around trade deadline day, uh, which, again, is the 21st. But we'll do a show the day before and we'll do a show the day after. Uh, that's all. Yeah, I'll spill yeah. some tea. I'm ready for that. I'm game. Ooh, yes. I love it when you spill tea, CJ. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long. And peace. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new episode. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JKMcKenzie.